0: This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 71, Kurukshetra, a Dramatic Interlude. Last episode, we finished the 13th day of the 18-day war at Kurukshetra. On that unlucky day, Arjuna's heroic son, Abhimanyu, was treacherously separated from his comrades and ambushed by a group of six karavas. This tale included the moving scene in which Abhimanyu disarmed and on foot resorted to a broken chariot wheel as his only weapon. This image lasts only a moment before his tormentors blasted even that from his hands. Earlier, when Arjuna was not fully committed to the fight, we saw two similar incidents in which Krishna ran on foot to attack Bhishma. On the first of these scenes, Krishna was bearing his Sudarshana chakra, while the second time he went unarmed. On both occasions, he was stopped by Arjuna and resumed his role as charioteer and adviser. I commented at the time that the scene did not occur as we all remember it, We have the beautiful image of Arjun clinging to Krishna's leg while Krishna brandishes a chariot wheel and Bhishma stands ready to embrace his doom. I mentioned at the time that this beautiful image did not match either of these scenes. But now that we have this third incident with Krishna's nephew bearing the broken wheel, the image begins to make more sense. I believe this painting and our own recollections are composite of all three incidents. Arjun clings to Krishna in the first two of these scenes while Krishna goes unarmed in the second, and Abhimanyu introduces the chariot wheel, which obviously reflects the image of Krishna and his Sudarshana chakra. Thus, almost miraculously, the painting conveys the combined meaning of all three scenes. Magically, it calls to mind of many of the most powerful images from this war. Arjuna's reluctance to fight, Bhishma's resignation, Krishna's neutral role in the fight, and finally, Abhimanyu's tragic final stand. It is amazing that a single image can convey so much feeling in a single glance, but this genius pulled it off. There is also a mysterious correlation between the great war and a Vedic sacrifice. As far as I can tell, the relationship is never explicitly explained, but the comparisons are unmistakable. While the Vedas appear to mark a transition away from the blood sacrifice of animals, the battle of Kurukshetra seems to be a mass human sacrifice with Krishna as its officiating priest. Western Christianity is suffused with the theme of the substitute sacrifice. We first see it in the story of Abraham, in which God directs him to sacrifice his only son on an altar. Abraham obeys, ties the boy up, but at the last minute, God substitutes a ram, and the beast is killed in Isaac's place. The theme crops up again in the story of Moses in Egypt. When the Pharaoh refuses to let the Jews leave, God sends down the spirit of death. Who takes the life of every man's firstborn son? Only the Jews are spared because they sacrificed a goat and poured the blood on their doors. The theme reaches its climax with the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Son of Man, and God's only begotten Son. By his death, all of humanity is saved. Christians never adopted the ritual of animal sacrifice because they believed the sacrifice and all sacrifices had already occurred, so they simply memorialized that event by drinking the blood and eating the flesh of the Lamb of God. Is it possible that the Great War of Kurukshetra served a similar purpose in Vedic India? Perhaps Vedic sacrifice included blood sacrifice up to the time of this war, but following the spectacular blood offering of India's best and brightest warriors, maybe the gods were sated and no longer required the blood of living creatures. But meanwhile, as the battle still rages, It seems that each side is required to make greater and greater blood sacrifices in order to win. The Karvas sent an entire army to its doom as the price of removing Arjun from the battle for just a few days. The power of this offering is such that Arjun cannot resist it. He must leave to kill these men, leaving his brother unprotected. It appears to me that, in order to save himself and his cause, Yudhishthira was forced to make an even greater sacrifice. He offered up the life of his own heir. We already know that it is Arjun's grandson, Parikshit who inherits the throne. So regardless of the ultimate fate of Draupadi's five sons, we can be sure that Abhimanyu was the one born to wear the crown. We get further confirmation that Abhimanyu was indeed destined to be the heir to Hastinapur from the stories Vyasa told to comfort Yudhishthira. The main theme of each of these stories is the death of a king's son and heir. We have heard one of these stories already, about the king who lost his firstborn son, and the story Narada told him to comfort him. Vyasa's storytelling is not over with yet. His story of the birth of Lady Death only whetted Yudhishthira's appetite, and the king asked for more stories. Vyasa obliged with the story of another king, named Shunjaya. The story begins when Shunjaya only had one child, a daughter. Shunjaya was a good king and was friends with the sages Narada and Parvat. One time they were hanging out together, and Shunjaya's daughter introduced herself. Both sages admired the girl, and when they discovered she was unmarried, Narada asked to marry her. Shunjaya readily consented, but then Parvat got angry, saying, I saw her first, you have stolen her from me, and for that I will not allow you to go to heaven. Narada replied, I asked first, and her father consented, but nothing is certain until the actual wedding takes place. Thus, you complain about something that hasn't happened yet, and for that you will not reach heaven until I say so. Oddly, that is the last we hear of angry Parvat in this story. What happened next is that Narada blessed his friend Shinjaya with a son. The sage even allowed the king to design the boy himself. At first, Shinjaya was conventional in his request. He specified that his son be well-bred and a good warrior. But then it occurred to him that Narada had not placed any limits on him, so he got creative. He said, "'Oh, and, uh, I want my son to crap gold nuggets. And if he barfs, let him barf gold. And he should also piss gold.' Narada was true to his promise, and Srinjaya's son was called Goldspitter. Spitter. The boy became something of a Midas, and soon the king's palace was covered in gold. Unfortunately, some bumbling thieves heard of this boy, so they kidnapped him. Thinking he must have a belly full of gold, they cut the boy open. Of course, they only succeeded in killing the Gold Spitter. As for King Srinjaya, he was crushed with grief. Narada tried to comfort the king by telling him about the greatest kings in all history. Narada gave a brief bribe, Narada gave a brief biographical sketch of each king, but then pointed out how each of them had eventually died. He concluded saying that if these the greatest and best of kings must die, then what could you expect for this boy? These sketches go on for about 50 pages, but finally Shinjaya understood. Narada asked him, then is there anything else I can do for you? Shunjaya said, no, your words have given me comfort. Narada replied, very well, then I give you back your son. I raise him from the dark of hell, anointed like a lamb at the sacrificial altar. Vyasa explained to Yudhishthira that the boy had been killed before he had won armor, conceived a child, or officiated at a sacrifice, so his life was incomplete. Abhimanyu, on the other hand, was a mighty warrior who killed thousands before he was honorably struck down. The boy had accomplished his life's purpose and lived a complete life. Now he has taken his place in paradise, and there was no need for him to come back. By now, Yudhishthira was feeling a lot better. He thanked Vyasa, and the old sage disappeared. But once the sage was gone, Yudhishthira said, Oh, crap, what am I going to tell Arjun? The scene now changes. Arjun is returning from war in his chariot, driven by Krishna. That day, he had finished off the last of the suicide squad that had been sent to distract him, and he was feeling rather triumphant. As he rode into camp, he was expecting some celebration at his accomplishment. But there was only silence. In the distance, he could hear the Kauravas celebrating. All of this seemed strange. He asked Krishna what was amiss, but Krishna said it couldn't be anything important. But as they drew closer, it became obvious that something terrible must have happened. Arjun recalled that Drona had used the wheel formation that day, and it suddenly struck him. He said, Only you and I and my son know the key to breaking that formation, but I never taught Abhimanyu the secret for getting out again. Don't tell me they sent the boy unprotected to go to his death. Filled with anxiety, Arjuna jumped down and ran the rest of the way to his brother's tent. They were all there to greet him, each with looks of despair on their faces. Arjuna asked, Why has my son not come out to greet me? Don't tell me he was killed. Who'd be crazy enough to kill this boy, who is Krishna's favorite, the grandson of Indra, and my own son? Krishna put his hand on Arjuna's shoulder and said, Don't do this to yourself. Every warrior accepts the risk of death in battle. You know that your son now resides in the blessed realms the place where every warrior yearns to go, and the reason we face death in battle. Do not mourn, because this is the way of things. Here are your brothers and friends. all rely on you. Let your sorrow go. Arjun calmed down a bit, but now he wanted to hear from the guys who were supposed to have protected the boy. Addressing the generals of his army, Arjun asked, So how is it that you guys are all standing here unharmed, bows and swords intact, while my boy is dead? Was the boy fighting Indra? How did this happen? Were you all just standing around while they dragged him down and murdered him? Had I known you guys could not protect him, I would have looked after him myself, but I trusted you. Are all these weapons and armor just decorations? Ashamed, the Pandavas all looked away, unable to meet Arjun's gaze. Finally, Yudhishthira spoke. He said, After you left, Drona tried to capture me. The only person who could break his assault was your son, so he asked him to undo Drona's formation. Abhimanyu was fantastically successful in his mission. He did things we thought no mortal was capable of. We stayed close behind him, but then Jayaratha made a pact with Shiva and was able to hold us all back, while Dron, Kripa, Karna, Ashvataman, Kausalya, and Krittavarman surrounded him. Still, the boy fought valiantly, but it was too much. Dalshasani struck the fatal blow, but by then his fate was sealed. Arjun listened to this, weeping quietly. Then, menacingly, he said, I swear to you all that tomorrow I shall kill and Unless he comes to me begging for mercy, tomorrow he shall die. If I do not kill Jayadratha tomorrow, then may I reside in hell for eternity. Standing tall, his Gandhava bow in hand, Arjun made a vow. He said, If tomorrow the sun sets and that devil yet lives, I shall throw myself into the fire. As he swore this oath, he wrapped his bow on the earth three times, and the sound rang all the way to heaven. Almost as soon as these words left his mouth, spies raced over to the car a camp with this exciting news. Jayadratha heard of Arjun's oath and nearly crapped his pants. He rushed to Duryodhana and begged permission to leave and go back home behind his walled city. But Duryodhana saw a great opportunity in this challenge. If he could just preserve Jayadratha's life for one more day, they could take Arjun out of commission. Duryodhana reassured Jayadratha while Drone, Kripa, and Karna all promised to protect him at all costs. They gathered together and made plans to place Jayadratha in the very center of the army and to surround him with all of their very best fighters. News of this made its way just as rapidly back to the Pandava camp, where Krishna castigated his friend. He said, You really should have checked with me first. The Karvas know all about your oath, and they're going to make it next to impossible for you to get at Jayadratha, at least for the day. Arjun scoffed at this. He said, Let me tell you about these so-called champions who think they can protect Jayadratha. Their combined strength is not worth half of mine. You watch what happens tomorrow. That man is as good as dead." But despite Arjuna's assurances, neither of them could sleep that night. Dark omens and portents were seen, but no one could tell which side they threatened. Finally, Arjuna sent Krishna to see Subhadra, to try to comfort her. It is not clear where these womenfolk were kept during the fighting, I had the impression that the non-combatants had been left behind at Varata's city of Upaplavia. But wherever she was, Krishna strolled over to his sister's palace to console her. You can imagine the melodramatic scene as Krishna tried to comfort his sister, who had just lost her only son. At first, she was inconsolable and blamed her brother and husband for failing to protect her child. But gradually, Krishna was able to bring her around, and she eventually came to terms with her loss. She accepted that death is a natural part of life, and her boy now resided in paradise, his earthly duties having been disposed of. Abhimanyu's bereft mother continued to weep and wail, and the night was nearly past. So finally Krishna got up and said, Now seize your mourning, Subhadra. Abhimanyu has gone the way of the very greatest of warriors, and I can only hope the rest of his kin may follow in his glorious footsteps. With those words, he left Draupadi to comfort his sister. Krishna did not go to sleep, nor did he return to Arjun. Instead, he located an auspicious patch of ground nearby and consecrated it for a ritual. He laid out fresh grass, fragrant flowers, and dried grains. Meanwhile, Krishna's priests began a rite of propitiation to Shiva. Arjun emerged from his tent, was anointed, and joined his friend for the ritual. The ritual succeeded in raising Arjun's spirits, and by the end, he embraced Krishna, and the two at last turned in to get some sleep. Lying in his tent, Krishna still could not sleep. He worried about Arjuna's hasty oath and how he might live on should Arjuna fail to fulfill his promise. Speaking to his own charioteer, Dharaka, he said, The great Pandava has set himself a difficult task. What will Yudhishthira do should he fail? As for Arjuna, he slept but fitfully. In his sleep, he dreamt that Krishna came to visit. Arjuna greeted him and confided his worries to his friend. Arjuna said, Keshava, My promise to kill Jayadratha was not made lightly. But now Duryodhana will bury him deep behind their eleven legions of warriors. I seriously wonder whether I will even catch a glimpse of that vile king. But if my promise is not kept, how can a man like me still live? The dream Krishna said, O son of Pritha, there is a weapon called the Arrow of the Beast Lord. If you have that, you can expect to kill Jayadratha. I suggest you concentrate your mind on Shiva and request this weapon from him. Arjun did as he was told, and the pair of them had an out-of-body experience. Their spirit bodies rose up into the air, and they began to fly rapidly northward beyond the Himalayas. They then flew up into the heavens, to the top of a mountain peak, where they met the great god Shiva with his consort Parvati. Krishna bowed to Shiva, and the god greeted them warmly. Not deceived by their current disguise, Shiva recognized them as the divine ascetics Nar Narayan. Shiva said, I know what you have come for, so be at peace. Nearby is a pool of nectar where long ago I left a magic bow and arrow. They went to the pond, prayed to Shiva, and from the pond emerged Rudra's bow and arrow. From Shiva's side emerged a man clothed all in white. This man taught Arjuna the secrets of this weapon, then he flung it back into the lake the bard concluded. So it was that Arjun received for the second time the Pashapata, a weapon so deadly and divine that it would make good the hardy warrior's promise. The pair then bowed and thanked Shiva for his help, and then the dream ended. While Arjun slept, Krishna stayed up all night talking with his charioteer. The poet paints a fascinating scene of the Pandava camp at daybreak on the 14th day of battle. He says the watchmen clapped and chanted the hour, and poets sent up praises to the king. Then a choir began singing as dancers joined in. Then came the rumble of kettle drums and the blare of horns. All this racket roused Yudhishthira the king from his slumber. The well-rested king went to his bathhouse, where 108 young slaves helped him in his ablutions. Having bathed in perfume-scented waters, he donned a loose-fitting turban the color of flamingo feathers, faced the rising sun and chanted a Vedic hymn. Following this, he made a brief offering to the sacred fire and then greeted a crowd of priests who stood waiting to greet him. Pandu's son joined with them in their Vedic chanting and then handed out gold, robes, cattle, and horses to these priests. Next, the king donned his fanciest robes and took up his seat in a royal pavilion. A young paladin rode up in his war chariot, dismounted, kneeled, and announced the arrival of Krishna. Casually, as if the war could wait indefinitely, Yudhishthira had cushions laid out for his guest and welcomed him warmly. Before they could speak, the rest of the Pandava generals arrived, including his allies, brothers and sons, all that is except Arjun. Addressing Krishna, Yudhishthira said, O Lord of all that is, in you lies our hope for the future. Please assure us that Arjun's promise shall come to pass as it must. Krishna answered, Not even a god could accomplish what Dhananjaya can do. I will clear the way so he can burn through the ranks of the Karavas. Today, Arjun's arrows will send Abhimanyu's vile murderer to his death. If even Indra and his army tried to stop him, they too would go down before him. Finally, Arjun himself arrived, anxious to talk to his brother. He described to them his dream of the night before. The Pandavas were astonished at this tale, and they all bowed down and gave thanks to Shiva for his grace. They were all pretty charged up to hear that Arjun had a secret weapon to help him discharge his oath, and they grew anxious to get back to the fight. Yudhishthira adjourned his court, and everyone made haste to prepare for the day's fighting. I imagine you are also getting anxious to see the end of this conflict, so we'll end it now and begin the tale of the 14th day next time. The story of Arjuna's vow ends with one final detail. It says, as they rode out to battle that morning, a multitude of good omens could be seen in the sky and wind and clouds. Feeling good about this, Arjun appointed Setyaki to protect the king while he finished with his mission to kill Jayadratha. Thanks for listening.